This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash journal. Terms and conditions apply. Over the last decade, gig work has become a defining piece of the U.S. economy. There's a growing number of people who are working jobs for platforms like Uber or Lyft. These people work sometimes as much as full-time jobs, but they actually aren't full-time employees. They don't get health insurance, workers' comp, or other employee protections. Labor advocates and lawmakers say that this is a misclassification, that these companies are getting the benefit of workers' labor without the employment costs. And earlier this year, California passed a sweeping new law meant in part to take aim at the gig economy. It laid out a definition of who should be considered an employee. That law goes into effect in just a few days. But rather than bringing order and security to California's workforce, it has so far led to job cuts, lawsuits, and a standoff with the tech industry. Today on the show, what California's new law means for the gig economy and for everyone else. Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Ryan Knudsen. And I'm Kate Leinbaugh. It's Thursday, December 19th. The origin story of this law doesn't actually have anything to do with the gig economy. It starts with a California Supreme Court case. And that case was known as Dynamax. Christine Myduke covers California state politics in the economy. The Dynamax case was brought by couriers who worked for the company and wanted to be treated as full-time employees. But when the court handed down a decision last year, it gave guidance to all sorts of companies. What was determined in that court case was that there's this three-part test to determine whether or not somebody is truly a contractor or not. The test is called the ABC test. It's three criteria, which Christine laid out as three questions. One, are they being directed by their employer or their boss how to do the work and when to do the work? If your boss is not telling you how to do your work, then you're a contractor. But that's only if you also answer yes to question two. Is the work that they're performing actually outside the scope of the core business of the person they're performing that work for? So, if your work is not core to the business and your boss isn't telling you how to do your job, you're a contractor. But wait, there's a third question. Does this person actually operate kind of an independent business where they do the same kind of work for other employers in that setting? So if you've got the freedom to have a lot of clients, you're a contractor. If you have a single contract with one business, you're an employee. That's the ABC test. A contractor's work must not be directed by a boss, not be core to the business, and the worker must have the freedom to have many clients. If a job doesn't pass this test, then the company has to treat the worker as an employee. When the California Supreme Court handed down the decision laying out this ABC test, employers immediately felt like it could have huge implications. 
with the court case, I mean, seemingly everybody might fall under that, right? It could be doctors, it could be lawyers. Everybody who works as an independent contractor could be affected. It clearly was a monumental decision that really could change the nature of work for millions of Californians. In California, there's around 2.8 million people in this category. And these people's jobs cover the whole cross-section of the state's economy. The most visible example of contractors may be Uber drivers or DoorDash drivers, some of these people in the gig economy. But contractors also have included people like therapists or nurses who have the training to provide anesthesiology. There's physical therapists, strippers are among them, and also, you know, freelance writers, musicians, and people who deliver newspapers. Your paper boy? That's right. With so many industries possibly subject to this ruling— Businesses wanted clarity about what it would mean, and they looked to the legislature to do it, which led to the crafting of the bill that's currently causing this controversy in California. It's called AB5. So that's where the legislature stepped in, and they looked at ways in which they could codify this and clarify certain situations in which people may or may not fall into that. The proposal the California legislature came up with took that test from the state Supreme Court's ruling and started crafting it into law. And almost immediately, certain industries started lobbying for exemptions. There was plenty of opposition to the bill. Certainly, the giants like Uber and Lyft spent a lot of money lobbying against the bill while it was being debated. Uber spent more than $500,000 and Lyft along the same lines just in lobbyists to have their voice heard in this ongoing discussion. Some workers spoke out against the bill, too, saying they liked the freedom and flexibility that gig work gave them. But the bill's author, a Democratic Assemblywoman named Lorena Gonzalez, felt there were bigger issues at stake. She's from the San Diego area, and she's really just deeply steeped in the labor movement. To Gonzalez, the Dynamex decision opened up an opportunity to go after the rise of gig work. She told me that really her outlook in the legislature has always been to fight for the worker and fight for the little guy. We have a tremendous amount of working poor in California that have to rely on food stamps. We have to rely on emergency room care because they don't have health care. And so many of these workers are misclassified, and that's a burden. She's a former labor leader in San Diego, and she's the daughter of an immigrant farm worker and a nurse who actually fought to unionize her workplace. She was a single mom for years. She's really got experience taking up issues that have been controversial in the past. Some of the bills that she's authored or co-authored include one of them that tightened vaccine exemptions. So she's been the target of anti-vaxxers in the past. She helped pass the motor voter law, which kind of automatically registers many people who show up at the DMV here in California and helped raise the minimum wage to $15 an hour. I'm proud to stand in solidarity with my brothers and sisters who are saying it's time. It's time that they're treated with a little bit more respect. I hope To Gonzalez and other Democratic lawmakers, the bill was a chance to take aim at an innovation of the last decade. Companies that build apps for on-demand services and employ a lot of contract workers to perform those services. You know, one of the most poignant quotes, I think, from the Assembly Speaker, Anthony Rendon, came in the midst of the debate about this bill. And when you hear about folks talking about the new economy, the gig economy, the innovation economy. And he kind of said, people talk all about how this is the gig economy, this is, you know, innovation at its best. And his key, you know, money quote was, It's 
feudalism all over again. And what the point he was trying to make was that there may be different names for how you do something, whether it's through an app or not, or how workers are able to find their work and, and pick up jobs. The basic reality is that these companies are kind of shirking their responsibility to pay people a living wage and to give them the protections that we as a society in California have decided workers should have. And what is the criticism that lawmakers and labor activists have about how the current system works? There have been a lot of complaints from drivers specifically about how the company can unilaterally set rates or cut rates or cut their reimbursements. And they're kind of at the mercy of the company to set how much they're going to make. Anytime you have executives for these companies getting millions of dollars of bonuses in any given year, and you have some drivers who say that they're sleeping in their cars because they don't have enough money to make ends meet. And, you know, some of these drivers make a couple dollars on some trips because of the way that the app and the the system is structured. In Sacramento, when the bill was being debated, there were Uber drivers in cars kind of clogging the streets around the Capitol and honking their horns and, and flying these banners. You might have heard a lot of honking at the Capitol today, and here's why. Uber and Lyft drivers were rallying in support of a bill that would make them employees instead of contractors. The plan on the table is a big deal. When the bill was finally fully crafted, it did include some exemptions. Lawyers and architects, doctors and real estate agents, people Gonzalez said had more bargaining power than the average worker. But the bill still included a vast swath of the workforce. Contract workers at places like Uber and Lyft, and also paperboys and strippers, freelance writers and truck drivers. And this kind of work is growing. At big companies, contract workers can make up as much as 50% of the workforce. It lets them shrink their employee base and pay less in benefits. At Alphabet, Google's parent company, there are more outsourced workers than full-time employees. California's law will affect a lot of these workers. It was passed in September and will take effect in January. With just a few months in between, businesses and workers across the state have been scrambling to figure out how the new law applies to them. That's after the break. Welcome back. The California legislature passed AB5 to create more clarity for contract workers. But the bill they passed left a lot of open questions. A lot of employers, not just startups, but all kinds of employers, don't know if the law applies to them. And there are big implications if it does. Certainly many of them have costed this out, and they estimate that it could add anywhere between 15 and 30 percent to their employment costs. So that's a big thing that they're grappling with. So I spoke to one marriage and family therapist who owns a group practice in Glendale, California, and he services a lot of Armenian speakers and Armenian immigrants in the area. And he has an office space, he has a receptionist and staff that he pays. And so then he takes a cut of each of the licensed therapists who come to his office and practice under his practice. Under the new law, he essentially is going to have to classify them all as part-time employees. And he's not really sure what this is going to mean for his bottom line. He's going to try it, but he did say that he thinks that this is going to add somewhere between 15 to 20 percent 
to his costs, and he may either have to let go these licensed therapists in the future or downsize his business. He's not really sure what he's going to do. Some workers are in the same position, facing down uncertainty. This week, Vox Media's SB Nation, a sports blog, said it would be ending contracts for about 200 contractors it's used in California. Some of those contractors can join the staff. Others will be terminated. And there are consequences for all sorts of other contract workers, even ones who feel like independent work is beneficial. So I spoke to Tang Nguyen, who is a truck driver, and he's been an independent truck driver for more than 15 years at this point. He can make enough in a year, and if at a certain point in the year he's made enough to sustain his family, he'll just take the rest of the year off. He really always loved the flexibility, he tells me. He was able to raise his kids and cut down on childcare costs with his wife because he was able to be home when she was at work. And he almost exclusively finds his work through a trucking broker, which is somebody, a company who kind of lines up jobs for him, tells him where and when to be, what the specs on the job are, how much he's going to get paid. And so he's always lined up his jobs like this. And under the new law, he can no longer do that. And, you know, March is kind of the start of his busy season. He tells me if he can't find enough work to fulfill his need by January or February, he's going to have to move out of state with his family. How does Lorena Gonzalez respond to the criticism that this law is going to encumber people who had really enjoyed the freedoms of freelance and and contract work? She thinks that that's, you know, it's clear that people are concerned about their own situation and she understands that, but that there are a whole host of people also who are going to benefit from this and she's not willing to wipe that out. I think for the people who supported this law and continue to support it, the goal is probably to rein in some of the excesses of the gig economy, some of the um, fundamental changes that we've seen in the past decade of how people do work and how they're compensated for it and how they're protected when they can't do the work, for example, or when they get injured. And so I think applying more and more protections to those people within that category who maybe have the least power and the least ability to negotiate and advocate on their own behalf. But Gonzalez's goal of giving more power to people like Uber drivers might not happen. Because while a lot of other companies are scrambling to comply with the law, Uber and Lyft, the companies that help spur all this debate and concern about the status of freelance workers, say this new law doesn't apply to them. Uber and Lyft took a pretty, I would say, contentious stance in terms of saying that they just are not going to really change anything about the way they do their business. They don't think the law applies. They're not going to reclassify their workers. And Come January 1st, they're not planning on making any of their drivers employees at this point. These companies consider themselves tech platforms. And if you remember what the ABC test says, someone's only considered an employee if their work is core to the business. And Uber says that driving a car shouldn't be considered core to its business. Just because the test is hard doesn't mean that we will not be able to pass it. This is Uber's chief legal officer explaining the company's position on a media call. In fact, several previous rulings have found that driver's work is outside the usual course of Uber's business, which is serving as a technology platform for several different types of digital marketplaces. For its part, 
Lyft says it's looking to find ways for drivers to get benefits while maintaining the flexibility they have as contractors. But both Lyft and Uber are planning on fighting AB5 by bypassing the lawmakers and taking it to voters. Uber, Lyft, and a number of other gig economy companies have put $110 million into a campaign account for a ballot measure that they promise for next year. They say they're going to start collecting signatures in January, and they're proposing that essentially they would just be carved out of this law, that it wouldn't apply to them. And they're hoping that they can take their case directly to the California voters. If this ballot measure were to move forward and pass, it would mean that the companies that were targeted by this law, in the end, would get out of it. That will remain up to the voters of California, the very state that gave rise to gig work. It seems like like there's some irony here in that Silicon Valley and California have have created companies like Uber and Lyft. And now lawmakers are taking aim at the very heart of their business model. Yeah. I mean, it was the birthplace of companies like this that gave rise to the gig economy that spread very quickly and really re- thought how we think of the nature of work and people who work and and how they're doing that. I think it really goes to the heart of California as a place of innovation, as a place of kind of new ways of thinking and doing things and business models. I think that a lot of times because of the speed of innovation in California, sometimes legislators can be caught by surprise or they may need to play catch up in terms of regulations for new and emerging technologies California has always been seen as a trailblazer in terms of public policy. And so there are a couple states, um, including New York, that are considering similar legislation. And there's the American Action Forum, which is kind of a conservative sister group of the American Action Network, which has ties to the Republican Party. But they put out a study saying that if this type of policy was implemented nationwide, this ABC test that AB5 codifies would include kind of more than 13 million workers nationwide who are responsible for more than $1.6 trillion of economic output. You can say what you will about the organization and kind of its leanings, but I think that the bottom line is it's clear if this type of policy catches on, it would have major implications for the economic life of millions of people. That's all for today, Thursday, December 19th. The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and The Wall Street Journal. Special thanks to Lauren Weber for additional reporting. If you like the show, follow us on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. We come out every weekday afternoon. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.